you know, just to change gears completely, though it's not probably in the context, it's not that that much of a gear change. But, you know, it does have this difficult passage that you tackled, uh, verse 34. Um, and 35. And verse 34 and 35, the women should keep silent in the churches for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law always says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands in home for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. And so you, I think you did a great job, uh, you know, of kind of laying out, you know, what what is Paul saying here? Hey, welcome to Whitefields Community Church Sermon Extra. Great to have you with us once again this week. I'm here with Pastor Nick Katie. He is the pastor of Whitefields Community Church here in Longmont, Colorado. And we find ourselves back in our series, Grace and Truth, as we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And we've been going through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And we just took a little break to to look at our vision series for, for the year, just to kind of launch us into this new year. And uh, it was just a great time. So if you missed any of that, you missed this sermon or you missed any of our vision series as well, uh, get over to whitefieldschurch.com and you can find it there. Also, all of it's on our on on uh, YouTube, Facebook, and any of your favorite streaming platforms or podcast platforms. You'll find it there. And yeah, if you would please helps us out a lot. If you would just subscribe, give us a thumbs up, uh, give us a review. Uh, this certainly helps boost us up in the algorithm. And when people are asking, you know, these questions, uh, you know, about God and about life and about these kind of things, about vision, uh, we can provide them with Christ-centered and uh, gospel-centered answers. And so we find ourselves this week picking up once again in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And the title of this message was Reorientating Worship. And we just want to kind of start right there with the title because it's, I think it's a, it's a title that's, I think it has a lot of weight to it and it has it means uh, it can mean a lot of different things and we just want to kind of talk about this in light of of what Paul had to say here to the Corinthians in chapter uh, 14 verse 26 so you know why did you call it reorientating worship yeah so I call it that for a few reasons Uh, two it has kind of a double meaning and I like these kinds of Mm -hmm. uh, you know titles that can be understood in two ways And they need to be understood in two ways, right? So on the one hand, Paul wants to reorient the way that they think about worship because for them, worship had become a consumeristic activity, which was, although they were doing things supposedly in worship to God, it was ultimately still all about serving themselves. Now, the other way that this is reorienting worship is this concept, this idea, which is so important, that as we worship, we are being transformed through the process of worship. And what I mean by worship isn't only singing songs, though I do believe that that does orient our hearts in a direction as we sing certain words, which is why I always encourage people, look, no matter how you feel about your voice, it's important to hear yourself articulating these words. It actually shapes you. So everything we're doing, right, as a church is orienting us in a direction and that's important because everything that we experience in life, you go to the, the, the big box store, you watch TV or YouTube or whatever you're watching, everything is orienting your heart in one direction or another. And that's why it's so important, this consistency of worship that orients our hearts towards God, towards his will and his ways, uh, towards Jesus. And so uh, that's the, the two ideas there orienting us, um, 
reorienting the way we think about worship away from a consumer mentality and towards the heart of service that we belong to a body. And not only are we served by the body, but we have a role to play and contribute in the body. And then the other part that as we do this, as we engage in worship, we are being oriented in the ways that God desires. Yeah, no, that's very, very good. I, I really like the, the the title, and the reason one of the reasons I like the title is because I think it's a practice. I think that every Christian, every church should be practicing on a regular basis. Even as we started this new year, one of our, you know, one of our, um, you know, themes, especially when we looked at the church in Ephesus and in 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 Revelation, you know, a church in decline. Jesus was telling them to reorientate their worship back to him they were all about the 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 ministry they were out they were heresy hunters they were mm. you know they were nobody could out minister the, uh, the ephesians in 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 revelation but god still said you need to reorientate you need to remember and you need to repent and respond and and go back to your first love and and one of the unique things that i that was about this idea of orderly worship it wasn't that they were being corrupted by outside things. Mm. These were things, these were gifts of the Spirit given to the church for the edification of the church, yet it was ended up being the edification of man. And so I think that's kind of the idea is that we, we, when we need to reorientate worship, it's sometimes we, we start to worship the effects of God instead of God himself. And mm. I think that's just natural. We, You know, when God does an amazing thing, we want to like, build a shrine around it and and look what God did and then the shrine becomes the actual thing we worship and and the same thing within church services methodologies liturgies these things over the years that develop traditions um, though very important sometimes become the things that we we worship and we need to sometimes just step back and reorientate and say what is it that I'm worshiping here at this moment? Is it God himself? Is, is this tradition or this methodology or this idea leading me to worship God even more? Or am I my eyes focused on this particular tradition? I think it's, just a, it's always just a good time to step back. That doesn't mean you throw away your tradition or throw away your liturgies. I, for one, have come to really, uh, over the years, come to um, appreciate the, the importance of liturgies, especially when you understand you know, catechisms, the, West, the, the questions that were asked, when you understand their roots, you know, you know, they were developed into illiterate societies where they were trying to combat heresy. And here you have a bunch of people who can't necessarily read their Bibles. And so they answer questions you know, of theological emphasis and they... They memorize. They memorize these things, you know. And I think there's not... But, you know, in some circles you mention the word catechism or you mention liturgy. It's like, oh, my gosh, you know. Well, they always say, <laughs> oh, that's a Catholic thing. That's Yeah. Which is simply not true. I mean, the Luther... I mean, we're talking about reformers, yeah. right? During the Reformation, these people wrote catechisms. Mm -hmm. They wrote... Luther had a catechism. There's a Heidelberg catechism. And there were others that came along. And catechesis literally just means, like training and teaching. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. I mean, you're talking about how do you teach people who maybe are not literate mm -hmm. and who don't at the time, or, I mean, Luther's writing at the time when the, the printing press is like coming into mm -hmm. being. Yeah. And, and yet not everybody had a Bible at that time. So how do you make sure that you teach people the truths in the Bible if they can't read the Bible yet? And his way of doing it was memorization. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, and, you know, but having said all that, you know, there are people that would hold up catechisms and hold up liturgies as, as the only way to do things. And, and as we've seen through the centuries that God does new things and right. we they, reorientate. They get more into their tradition exactly. or more into a liturgy, which by the way, a liturgy, I mean, any church has a liturgy. I, I have a friend who, uh, she went to a charismatic church and I remember her posting something about one that you never know what's going to happen on a Sunday, right? It could be a Bible study. It could be just speaking in tongues. It could be anything could happen on a Sunday. And, you know, some of you say, oh, well, that's a non-liturgical church. Well, not really. I mean, that is a form of liturgy. It's a repeated practice, which is intended to shape you into a certain kind of person. And we just have to ask, what is a good liturgy? What we do. I mean, this idea of like four songs, announcements, sermon, communion, one song, benediction, that's a liturgy. And it would also be a liturgy if we only had a, a teaching or if we only did worship, right? They're just repeated practices. But the key is, as I mentioned, they shape you into a certain kind of person. So that, that ultra no, no structure model is a liturgy that shapes you into a person, which I, I think there could be some benefits to that, saying that there, you know, you never know what to expect. So you come with a sense of expectation. You come with a sense of anticipation and this desire for the Holy Spirit to lead. I think those can be good things. You know, why do we do the things that we do? Well, because we believe that on Sunday mornings when we gather, there's use and value to studying the word and dedicatedly working our way through portions of scripture verse by verse because we want to understand the context and we want to dedicate a lot of time. Uh, one of the phrases I sometimes use is like the idea of pride of place, right? So we give uh, the teaching of the Bible and singing of songs that are rich in, rich in biblical truth. We give those pride of place in our services because we believe that this is the healthy diet that people need in order to become uh, healthy, grown-up disciples. So, yeah, and and you know, going back to our passage, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, or a God of order. And, you know, and I think it's, you know, I think when we want to build a liturgy, if you want to use that word, or an order of service, or you want to do a certain way, a thing, a certain way, I think we're playing into the nature of God that He's created an order for things, and I think we learn within structures as a church. And uh, but you know, the, the idea is. Sometimes that, you know, one day maybe it's just going to be someone's going to come up and I, I do five songs instead of four. And there's going to be someone come up to me and say, you did five songs. That's not how we do it. We don't have, that's not how we do it, Mike. You know, and then that's when you have to say, well, you need to reorientate your worship. Like what, what was it that you were worshiping? And one of the, the pictures that always comes back to my mind when I think about this idea of worshiping worship, which is a phrase that was used for many years where, where the, the actual act of or doing became the thing that everybody kind of focused on is the golden calf in the old Testament Mm. where you have the almighty God up on a mountain, burning fire, burning fire. (laughs) He's right there. And you see the people of God make an image of God that they can tangibly see and touch. And, and, and of course it kind of represented the gods of Egypt at the time, but 
but that's many times what we fall into as a ch- as a church many times is that it has to be done a certain way and when it's not done a certain way then then we're like well something's wrong well you know then that's a time when we say well is that really something wrong or do i need to reorientate my worship or have i made god into an image that this is how god works and this is how god does his you know we you know as a church we've come through last two two three years through all this chaos and if you said you know if i was to go back in time and say well god can never do anything in the middle of a pandemic and and expand and and the our church can double in size and and this is going to happen we're going to have a food pantry all in the midst of a pandemic our brains are so small we can't think of those kind of things but now on the other side of it you know you reorientate your worship god is much bigger than we can ever con- conceive of and and he, you know he keeps changing mm. and he keeps doing new things as you know well, a good example so that idea mm. of you could also put it this way you you're putting god in a box one of my favorite passages to talk about in this regard is actually first uh, samuel is it chapter 3 i mm-hmm. think i have to go and check but i think it's chapter 3 where they literally do have this Ark of the Covenant and they treat it as God in a box, which is ironic, Mm, right? Um, (laughs) And so what they do is they say, well, what we need to do in order to have victory in this battle is we need to do exactly what they did when they attacked Jericho, which was we're going to march around the city. We're going to march around with the the Ark and we're going to sing and shout and do all these things. Basically, they're like trying to copy what God did in the past and just redo the same thing. They're putting God in a box and God gives them a message. They learn it the hard way, which is that that's not how this works, right? You can't just be formulaic in these things about that. And like, and so God even allows the Ark of the Covenant to be captured, right? To show them that, no, no, God's not in the box. Uh, God is outside of the box. And yes, that is an important artifact, but God is still with you even without the box. And, and don't just be asking like, what did they do? What did God do in the past and how did he do it so we can recreate it? But really be seeking the guiding and leading of the Holy Spirit for today. Exactly. And I, and, and I think just as we, you know, enter into a new year, this is not say, well, everything you're doing at church is wrong. Well, you need to change this. You need to change that. It's just, just step back and reorientate and say, Am I maybe putting too much importance on this thing or that thing? Or where is my first love as we looked mm. at the church in Ephesus? And do I need to go back? You know, th- nothing might change. My, everything might be good. And, but, but maybe there are things that do need to happen. And so, so that's, that's great. I thought it was just a great title, Reorientate Worship. I think just overall for us as we head into this new year, I think it's just a great word from the Lord. And, but, uh, you know, just to change gears completely, though it's not probably in the context it's not that that much of a gear change but you know it does have this difficult passage that you tackled uh verse 34 um and 35 verse 34 and 35 the women should keep silent in churches for they're not permitted to speak but should be in submission as the law always says if there's anything they desire to learn let them ask their husbands in home for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church and so you i think you did a great job uh you know of kind of laying out you know, what, what is Paul saying here? Yeah, it's an important passage to talk about. I think that sometimes this gets um, brought into a discussion of the role of women in church leadership. And there might be some aspect of this that applies to that, but that's not primarily what this is about. I mean, 
Uh, clearly, this cannot be a blanket prohibition on women ever speaking in any circumstances in the church because earlier in the same book to the same people, uh, Paul said, well, when a woman prays and prophesies, here's the way to do it in the way that honors God and honors her husband, right? Speaking of wives, which this is also speaking about wives. And so that's, that's just really important to understand. We don't take verses in isolation, and sometimes, you know, I think that some people would assume that we should go, we should just say, hey, this is just what it says. Therefore, you know, there, like there's something heroic in, in saying this is just how it is. But I think that we, our goal is not to like say, well, this is how it is, even if it's unpopular, nor is it to dismiss it. Our goal is to look at the whole counsel of scripture. What does all of the Bible teach? And this one's almost easy in a way because Paul in this same exact letter, talked about this very same thing earlier. So he's talking about women praying in church gatherings, women um, prophesying in church gatherings. You can't do either of those things without speaking, and you're addressing the whole group. And, and Paul's thing is, do it in a way that's honoring. So clearly, he's addressing a specific situation here. Now, what exactly that was is really hard to tell. Based on the context, where it's like prophecy, prophecy, prophecy— women or wives than more prophecy, prophecy, prophecy. It, it seems pretty clear that what he's saying has to do with the judging of prophecies. Uh, some people have suggested, though, I mean, everybody kind of agrees, all Bible scholars who study this agree. He's talking about something that was disruptive and dishonoring and had to do with wives and husbands. Now, there is a, a, a concept, and, and some people would make a pretty good argument for this, where they say, um, well, in those days, they were following a Jewish model, which is where men and women sat in different parts of the, whether it's a house or a large room, they would be separated. And the idea was that maybe some of the wives were kind of shouting over the aisle to their husband, if you will, and disrupting during the teaching or during a, a, the weighing of prophecies. It's very likely something like that could be what's going on here. The point is something's happening that is disruptive and it is dishonoring in some cases. And Paul's saying, no, that's, that's not how we want to do things but it's important to understand the context and to keep in mind what he says in chapter 11, where he is permitting that. So, um, you know, we take this into a whole, um, we build our theology based on what the Bible says and the whole counsel of scripture. And we must understand the difficult to understand passages in light of the less difficult to understand passages. That's a principle that is um, very easy to follow, but it's also a principle that was taught throughout church history. Um, it's not just like a new thing. It was taught by the Reformers, the early Protestants. It's taught by more recent times. And it was also taught in the patristic period by people like Augustine. And so they would say, if there's a really difficult to understand passage, then you should understand it in light of the more easy to understand passages. And the more easy to understand passage in this case is found in chapter 11, verses 5 and 13, where the issue of women speaking, meaning praying and prophesying, is addressed. And then we must take this verse in light of it. Yeah. And, and the one verse that always comes back to me when I read this was, because I had read through Acts, was Philip the evangelist had four daughters, virgin daughters that prophesied. So it's like, well, did they... They prophesy to each other. To each other? Like, who um, did they prophesy to? Yeah, you know? well, here's another one. In uh, Acts chapter 2, in Joel, uh, Acts chapter 2, 
Peter, on the day of Pentecost, quotes from the prophet Joel, and he says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy, Pro- prophesy yeah. in the last days. So we live in the last days, and sons and daughters prophesy. And so um, I think it's it's pretty clear. Yeah, and I think you did. Yeah, it's a great job. And if, and if you missed that, just, uh, you know, Nick just gave us a kind of synopsis of what he talked about on Sunday. And and if you missed that, you can go over there and, and download it. And But just, you know, just go back to the idea of reorientating worship. I think you used the phrase, we, we become what we worship. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, we don't want to be connoisseurs of worship. We want to be connoisseurs of the Lord. We want to be worshiping the Lord and, and letting God do his thing in and through us. And, you know, as we begin this new year, Maybe it's a chance just to reorientate your worship. Are you worshiping worship or are you worshiping the God who is worthy of all of our worship? And so if you missed any of this, uh, whitefieldschurch.com, head over there. You can download it. Please share with, uh, with, with your friends and family and anybody that needs to hear this particular message. If you have any questions or comments, suggestions, whatever, please leave it in the, in the comment section. And we will certainly love to, to answer those or, or respond to them. In, in a video or a future podcast. And so it's good to be with you this week. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless. <laughs>